Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Ferguson, Missouri. In this latest sermon, Pastor Chandler explores the radical nature of Jesus' teachings and actions, this time as revealed in his final commandment to his disciples to love one another. Listen as Pastor Patrick brings a word entitled, Jesus the Radical, based in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 35. To learn more about St. Peter's, you may find us on the web at www.stpeterschurch.org or on Facebook by searching St. Peter's UCC Ferguson. The scripture this morning comes from John 13, chapter, verses 31 to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May God have the blessing on the reading of his word. Amen. For those of us who have spent or do spent do spend time in and around the church coming to know who Jesus was and who Jesus is, taking the time to carefully read scripture and discern scripture, then it's not much of a surprise to discover just how controversial and radical of a person he was in relationship to first century culture. I think what takes people really by surprise, is the presumed expectation of today that followers of this Jesus are called to exhibit the exact same radical behavior as their namesake. The assumption seems to be that while, yes, Jesus' tendency to push back against the traditional understandings and practices of first century Judaism or to push back against the religious leaders of his day or to push back against the oppressive political regime of his day made him rather radical for his time and place, that in now his old age... His old age being now 2,000 years. He and his message and his expectation have somehow softened and mellowed out over that time. That was all great way back then, some tend to think, but they don't really think that that's such a good thing for us now. Modern Christians, modern Christianity have chosen to harness, it seems. Sometimes tried to harness and even soften Jesus and his message trying to diminish his rather radical and controversial edge, resulting in a rather apathetic group of followers. A group who will always say, we love Jesus. 
We truly, deeply, passionately love Jesus, but whose lives rarely model that radical commitment to justice, or even more simply, his radical commitment to God. In March of 2013, a little more than two weeks prior to Easter, Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Argentina was elected by his cardinal peers to become the next pope surprising many by taking the papal name of Francis in honor of St. Francis of Assisi, the one who abandoned a life of luxury and then devoted himself into service to God and deep humility and service to others in the name of God. Now, two weeks and a day after his election as Pope, it was Holy Thursday. It was Monday, Thursday, and the day that we uh, mostly refer as we uh, the day as we mostly refer to it, and it was the, that that day of Holy Week, leading up to Easter, when Christians across the world gathered together in worship to remember that last night in the life of Jesus. The word Monday comes from the Latin word which translates literally into commandment. It is the night Jesus gave to his disciples a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said, that night you are to love one another. By this, by love, they will know that you are one of my disciples, that you have love for one another. During Commandment Thursday, Monday, Thursday worship, followers of Jesus will often engage in at least one, if not two, of some, uh, two of the events, two of the acts that Jesus reportedly engaged in that night. The partaking of communion and then some type of foot washing ceremony. This is what scripture has given to us. That on the final night in an upper room, Jesus and his disciples gathered for one last meal together, most likely a Seder meal, since it was Passover week after all. And after supper, Jesus took some bread. Jesus also took some wine. He blessed them both and he shared them with his followers. This was Holy Communion, the institution of the Lord's Supper. An act of grace and forgiveness. A new covenant Jesus gave to those who followed him. This written in their own way, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now John's gospel, John, as many of you may recall, does not include the act or the institution of the Lord's Supper on that final night. Rather, John includes something more intimate, something more personal. Just prior to Jesus giving his disciples that final command to love, and yes, it is, by the way, a command. Loving is not a recommendation. It is a command. Jesus then removes his robe, he ties a towel around his waist, and then he proceeds to wash the feet of his disciples as an act of servanthood and humility, living out the exalted, must-be-humble thing that he has preached and taught so many times throughout his ministry. 
I think we often miss just how radical an act this was on the part of Jesus. It was unheard of in the time of Jesus for a rabbi, for a teacher to humble themselves by washing the feet of those presumed to be below them. Yet we should not be surprised. At least we shouldn't be surprised if, if we have been paying attention, any attention at all, to the teachings of Jesus up to this time. At Jesus, uh, we shouldn't be surprised at all at Jesus who once again radically reverses the expectations and the traditional roles being played in culture and society. Many today will look at Jesus' washing of his disciples' feet simply as an act of, as a kind act, as a loving act, as a gentle act, while missing out, not even considering, or perhaps just plain ignoring the deeper significance of Jesus' actions. So on March 28, 2003, 2013 rather, Monday, Thursday, Many across the world were shaken, confused, and there were some who were even angered to see this newly elected Pope washing the feet of 12 young prisoners being held in a youth detention center. Some folk within the tradition-laden, protocol-driven Catholic Church lost their ever-loving mind. The image of the leader of an estimated 1.2 billion Catholics around the world kneeling, kneeling before prisoners, humbling himself before prisoners, washing their feet, kissing their feet. That was way, way, way too much for many people to bear. Included, included among the 12 youth of faith were, were were youth of different faith traditions outside of the Catholic Church, including youth of faith traditions outside of Christianity. A couple of the inmates who received that blessing from Pope Francis that day were practitioners of Islam, were Muslims. And even among the 12 who received a blessing that day were two young women which was a first, which was a first to receive such an act from a pope. Once word got out, once the media started saying what had happened that Holy Thursday, fears began to shoot through the church. Did this act, did this thing mean that the new Pope was sending some kind of secret, subversive message to the world that women would now somehow be welcomed fully into the priesthood? He obviously doesn't know protocol, some within the Catholic Church were saying. In an attempt to make excuses, if you will, for his behavior. Some were like, oh, he's new. He'll come around. He didn't know. We'll have a word with him and we'll set him straight on what he can and what he can't do. As if in the Catholic Church, setting the Pope straight is an actual thing. Well, apparently it worked. Because the next year, when Monday Thursday rolled around, he did it again. And then the next year, he did it again. 
And then he did it again, and he did it again, and he's done it again. Boy, they really showed him and set him straight, didn't they? Over the years, every Monday, Thursday, rather than taking his, the traditional prestigious place and the robes and the hat and all the smells and bells behind the communion table to preside over the Lord's table in this wonderful, just grandiose feast, Pope Francis has washed the feet of prisoners, the disabled, and even a group of Muslim refugees, the outcast, the marginalized, and the oppressed. Well, that's pretty radical behavior from a person who takes seriously the radical behaviors of the one he follows. You don't have to like Pope Francis's politics or agree with any or all of his theology as head of the Roman Catholic Church, but you cannot, you cannot deny and you cannot dismiss his commitment to following, imitating, and even embodying some of the most radical behaviors of Jesus Christ. Yet, I am convinced that the act of foot washing was neither the most radical or subversive example of Jesus that, that Jesus provided that night. That would come later. That would come later in his teaching to his disciples this new teaching, this new commandment to love. There are different words for love in the New Testament. Each one with a different implication. I think the assumption has been that when Jesus tells his disciples, when Jesus tells us to love one another just as he has loved them, as he has loved us, that he is speaking of the universal and all-inclusive love known as agape love, the kind of love God has for all of humanity. Yet scholars have now come to agree that is not what Jesus was speaking of that night. Rather, Jesus is speaking to and about those specifically within his community. What some refer to as in-house love, this relatively small group of close-knit followers. In what is one of the most intimate, anxious, and intense moments in the life of Jesus, he begins to speak to his disciples intimately, anxiously, and intensely. Just before, just a few verses before our reading this morning, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, the NIV, the New International Version, and the King James Version all interpret Jesus as, quote, being troubled in spirit when he announces to the twelve that someone in the group, someone who has been following him closely and intimately will soon betray him. Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, translates it as, Jesus was visibly upset. The NRCV, the New Revised Chandler Version, translated at, translates it as Jesus was ticked off. Troubled in spirit, visibly upset, ticked off. Jesus tells this in-house group that he is about to be betrayed by one of his own. He dismisses Judas to go on and do what it is he must do. And then he says to the rest in the room, okay, 
The rest of you, hear this. No matter what, no matter what is about to come down the road here in the next few hours, love one another. Just as I have loved you all of these years, you are to love one another. By this, they, we always never really know who the they are when someone says they. They say this, they do that. They, whoever they are, and in this case, it will be those around Jerusalem over the next several days. They will know that you are one of my disciples as long as you continue, especially over these next few days, to show your love for one another. Jesus predicts betrayal. He commands that the disciples hold it together and love one another in spite of what is about to happen. Then Jesus predicts Peter's denial. This new command, the love command, literally holds together a small community of people in the midst of betrayal and denial. Friends, there is nothing more radical and subversive or contrary to the status quo, is that. Asking, expecting, no commanding, that in the midst of chaos and betrayal and denial, that you be held together in and through and by love. And if you've ever spent any time in and around the church, then you know that to be true. You know just how radical, how subversive, how against the status quo something like that is. Because the church, whether we are talking about the whole of Christendom, the whole of the body of Christ, or whether we are talking about so-and-so United Baptist Presbyterian Disciple Methodist Pentecostal Lutheran Church of Christ, it is all too often filled with betrayal and denial. Why? Because human beings? Because we are all human. And whether we admit it or not, or want to admit it or not, human beings have this tendency to look out for ourselves, don't we? And when that happens, people can get hurt. People can hurt others in the church. It happens. And then they, the they that Jesus is speaking of, the they on the outside of the church are watching and listening and waiting to see how those inside the body of Christ respond. Those on the outside of the church see what happens and they know what often happens because those most often hurt in the life of the church end up leaving the church and then they talk about their experiences. While it seems strangely, oddly, sadly enough, those who are constantly harming others will end up staying. Yes, this radical and subversive Jesus is commanding 
his followers to love in spite of all of this. Y'all, Jesus said to his disciples, again, that's the New Revised Chandler version, y'all, some bad stuff is about to go down, but keep on, keep on loving Judas. Keep on loving Peter, even when all of this bad stuff goes down, because they are going to need your love and support. Word is going to get out really quickly around town what's about to happen. People are going to know. And then they're going to start looking at the rest of you. They're going to start looking at the rest of y'all watching closely to see how you handle all of your business. And if you continue to love one another through it all, if you continue to love one another through all that is about to go down, all that's going to happen over the next few days, then they, everybody else on the outside, they are going to know. They're going to know that you're one of my followers. Do you know just how hard that is? Do you know, have any idea just how hard it is to keep on loving in the midst of chaos and hurt and denial and betrayal? Of course you do. Of course you do. You know it. I know it. Courtney knows it. Our kids know it. Members of the LGBT community, they know it. Women know it. Especially women clergy. Women clergy who report male clergy for having crossed boundaries, abused their power, and acts of emotional abuse or sexual misconduct. They know it. They know it when they report those things to the church's authorities higher up, only to be shamed for doing so, for being made to feel as less than, being made to feel as if they are the one who has done something wrong. Children know it. Children who have to report. Adults they have trusted and known in places of power and authority only to be ignored and to be dismissed because they're children. They know what it's like to be hurt in the midst of denial and betrayal. The great preacher and late mentor and friend, court and me, Dr. Fred Craddock, once said, there is no wound greater, there is no cut deeper than the cut that comes from stained glass. Meaning there's no wound deeper and there's no cut greater than the ones that come from inside the church. And sadly and tragically, Fred was right. You see, that's why Jesus' command to still love, and I don't mean love in a passive sense, I don't mean love in a permissible sense that you, that you don't hold people accountable for abusive or unloving behaviors. Rather, we're talking about here, Jesus is talking about here, a kind of love that holds us together in a community and in a covenant in spite of, in spite of the pain and the hurt. You know, it's easier to love someone or to exhibit love when the hurt and the pain is at a distance. I don't think there's anyone who is so naive enough to believe that you 
can just go through life without experiencing some kind of pain and hurt. But someone I do not know who uses, uses their car recklessly and causes hurt or harm to someone I know and love, over time, over time, I hope and I pray and I think I could find it within myself to love and to forgive. But let someone I know and let someone I trust cause harm to me or to someone I love. Or let that harm and hurt come from within, from within an organization or an institution that I love and I have trusted. Well, that kind of thing does not heal as quickly. And perhaps it never does heal. And yet, Jesus still calls us to love one another through it all. Whether we are the church, or whether we are a family, or whether we are a group of friends. That's hard. It's pretty, pretty subversive. It's pretty radical. Going against the status quo how we normally live and expect others to live. It's one thing, it's one thing to humble yourself and strip yourself naked and wash the feet of people you do not know and will probably never see again. It is absolutely a totally different thing altogether to humble yourself, strip yourself naked and be vulnerable and wash the feet of your friend who is about to or who has just betrayed you or denied ever knowing. Man, that's just something else. That's something else. That's pretty radical in the way that it pushes back on common sensibilities. But then again, that's Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. And that's the way of love. Amen.